Convicted and Convinced, a message from God's Word for you. Here's Pastor Robert Manessis. Now, you might know that ship and know that's not a picture from the movie. <laughs> I don't think it is. What ship is that? Right, you're cheating because I put it up there for you. I should have not done it. The Titanic. You ever heard of the Titanic before? The RMS Titanic, a little over 108 years ago in April of 1912, this ship took off from northern Europe, I believe, heading to New York in the North Atlantic Sea. And there were about over 2,200 people on board this ship. And you know the story that early in the morning, this ship hit a what? Hit an iceberg, the quote-unquote unsinkable ship, right? Hit the iceberg, and the ship began to go down. And the story is not a good one because of the 20, a little over 2,200 people on board, over 1,500 of them died. That means that only 705 of them survived of the 2,200 people. Now the story gets even sadder, in my opinion. The Titanic had the capability, it had 16 sets of debits. In other words, every set of debits could hold four lifeboats. And therefore, it had the capacity to hold up to 64 lifeboats, which meant that if the ship had the lifeboats that it could have had, the 64 of them, therefore it would have the capacity to have a little over 4,000 people if need be. Now that would be almost half, uh, 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 more, right, than the 2,200. It would have the capability again of having about 4,000 people if it had 64 lifeboats. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Okay. Well, the White Star Line was sort of the owner of this boat, and they were going to New York, and all the flashbulbs were going to take pictures, and it was going to be a great news event, thought that it was a quote-unquote brilliant idea that we don't want to put 64 lifeboats on this ship because it, it's not going to look very nice for the photos. <laughs> it's going to look crowded, and you have nothing but lifeboats on there. We want this picture-perfect, you know, front news picture, so what we're going to do is not put the 64 lifeboats, we're only going to put 20. How many did they put? Just 20. And again, I hope you know the story that when the ship began to go down, there just wasn't enough lifeboats. Now, I know that some of them were half-filled, but here's the thing. Regardless if they had packed every lifeboat to the max, the 20 that they had on board, there still would not be enough room for everybody. In other words, many people heard this the morning on the Titanic. There's just not enough room for you here. I'm going to say it again. I guarantee that many of the people early that morning on the Titanic heard these words. There's just not enough room for you here. But I want to praise God that we serve a God who is not like that. 
Go to John chapter 14. Look what Jesus says. John chapter 14. Let's see who can beat me there. Hold on now. Hold on. Now, if you have a phone or a, or a, or a tablet, that you are disqualified. John chapter 14, look what Jesus says here. You can say amen when you get there. And Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, my version says, are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you, and I go and prepare a place for you. Let me stop there. Now, my version is the New King James, and the term mansions there, I believe, is not really the best translation there. In the Greek, what it's saying is, in my Father's house are dwellings. In other words, there is plenty of room in my Father's kingdom. The NLT translates it like this, there is more than enough room in my Father's home. What God is saying is that there is plenty of room for you in His kingdom. It will never come a time where God will say, hey, you know, hey, Mike, sorry, it's all filled up. There's just not enough room for you anymore. No, never. There's more than enough room for you in His kingdom. And here's the thing, not just for you, but for your neighbor. There's room for them. And not just for your neighbor, there's room for your family as well. Can you say amen? And not just for your family, there's room for your friends as well. Can you say amen? And guess what? Not just for your friends, there's room for your enemies as well. There's plenty of room in God's kingdom for you. Hallelujah. Now, look at the verse again very carefully. He said, in my Father's house are many mansions. He didn't say there will be. This is present tense in when Christ is speaking it. Christ did not go be an architect for 2,000 years. He says they're already there. So what does it mean that he, that he went to prepare a place for us? Well, it does not mean that he went to build bricks. He says the room was already there. We, that's a whole other sermon there. But it must be that preparing a place for us has to do with his high priestly ministry in the heavenly sanctuary and him receiving the kingdom from the Father. And that's a whole other sermon there. But here's the point again, that there is more than enough room for you in his kingdom. Amen. Go to Revelation chapter 21. This is really good news. Revelation chapter 21, last book of the Bible, second to last chapter of the Bible. Here John the Revelator is giving us a glimpse of the holy city, New Jerusalem. And look what he says. Revelation, what chapter? 21, verse 9. Are we there? The Bible says, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me, saying, Come, and I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the Spirit, and to a great and high mountain, and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her light 
was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Also, verse 12, she had a great high wall with how many gates? How many gates? Twelve. I'll get back to that in a second. Twelve gates. She had twelve gates, twelve angels at the gates, and the names written on them were the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. Verse 13, three gates on the on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. Don't miss what God is saying. Listen. Did you know that in those times, a city had few gates because the more gates you had, the harder it was to defend the city. Does that make sense, right? So they had few gates, therefore it would be easier to guard the city, and you can therefore keep people in or keep people out. But in God's city, there are many gates, and he then encompasses all the globe. He says there's three gates in the north, three gates in the south, three gates in the west, three gates in the east. What is God saying? That there's room for you up in Russia and the northern parts of the world. There's room for you down in Africa and the south, southern parts of the world. There's room for you in Asia, in the west there. There's room for you in the Americas, in the east. There is room for everybody in my kingdom. That God is not trying to keep people out He's doing all he can to get people in. Are you with me? We saw this verse in Sabbath school. Who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the what? Of the truth. You see, nobody likes to be left out. Isn't that true? Who likes it when you sort of are in a group of friends and they're all hopping in the cars and all the car gets filled up and they're like, well, sorry, there's no room. Who likes that when that happens? No, you want to feel accepted. You want to hopefully have room here. So God is saying that he is, has plenty of room. He's not trying to leave anybody out. He's trying to get all into his kingdom and there's room there. Look what John 6 verse 37. He who comes to me, I will buy what? That's right, I will never cast out. Now, back in John 14, 2, some versions render it with a question. Uh, in my Father's house are many mansions, and uh, there's sort of a question there. Why? Because in the Greek it's saying this. This is what Christ is saying, that if I didn't have room for you in my Father's kingdom, why in the world would I come back to get you? So it can be rendered there in the, in, the, in the twice there. Again, that there is room. Now look at the screen here. This is beautiful. God is not picking who can be saved and who cannot. Wow, not one amen. Did you want me to say that God's picking who can be saved or not? Would you say, no, 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 no. God is not picking who can be saved and who cannot. Take a look at this. His righteous life can be imputed and imparted to all. Can you say amen? His death, tasting the wrath of God, was for all. His high priestly ministry in the heavenly sanctuary is available to all. The work of the Holy Spirit to help us be overcomers of sin and temptation and lead us to righteousness is available to all. And guess what? His grace and compassion is extended to all. And salvation is a free gift 
that is available to all. Can you say amen? But now listen carefully. But did you know that one of the saddest verses of all the Bible is found in Revelation chapter 20? Go there. Though salvation is available to all, though there is plenty of room in God's kingdom for all, but the Bible says in Revelation chapter 20, verses 7 and 8, this, in my opinion, one of the saddest verses of all the Bible. Verse 7 says, Then now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison. Now, this is after the millennium. The righteous who are asleep in Jesus rise in the first resurrection at the second coming. Those who are alive when Christ returns and have given their life to him will be translated as well to go with them with Jesus. Can you say amen? But after the millennium, we have the second resurrection for the lost. Verse 8. And will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog. Now, Gog and Magog in the Old Testament were the names of those who were against God. To gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. The Bible says that the lost are so many that they are like the sand of the sea. Now, isn't that one of the saddest verses in the Bible? Yes or no? Because what have we just learned? That there's plenty of room for everybody in God's kingdom. Did you know that hellfire was never meant for humanity, but only for the fallen angels and Satan? That's what Jesus said. Look at Matthew 25, verse 41 on the screen. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you who cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And then he said this, Then the king will say to those on the right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. It was never God's will for mankind to taste hellfire. Can you say amen? Because he died for all. It was only prepared for the fallen angels and the enemy. But yet the Bible says much of humanity will taste it, not the minority, but the majority. Why? Look at this verse here. I think there's a special application. Look at this, and it's on the screen. When Christ was born, you know, right, Mary got pregnant, the Holy Spirit, her and Joseph went to Bethlehem. You guys know the story, right? Okay. And Bible says, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. That's sort of funny because in God's kingdom, there's more than enough room for everybody. But the Bible says that when Jesus came the first time there as a babe, they knocked on the door and the man said, sorry, there's no room for you. <laughs> there's a spiritual application here and listen to what it is. The Bible says in the book of Revelation that God stands at the door and knocks. Revelation chapter 3. 
And did you know that many of us, either by words or by action, tells Jesus, sorry, Lord, there's just not enough for you. you there's not, just not enough room for you here. Do you know that? Do you know that many of us in our lives are so cluttered, so many things are happening that we just don't have enough room for Jesus? And when God knocks on the door, I want to come in. Sorry, Lord, there's just not enough room. Go to Luke 17. May God help us because you and I both know that we can get so preoccupied with everyday life, so busy with school, so busy with work, so busy with relationships, so busy with, fr with, with anything it might be, that we just don't have enough room for Jesus. Jesus spoke about the danger of this in Luke chapter 17. Say amen when you get there. And the Bible says in the book of Luke chapter 17, beginning in verse 26, are you there? The Bible says, and as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They were killing each other. Now they were doing that, weren't they? Yes or no? Were they not killing each other during the days of Noah? It was, the Bible says in Genesis that in the days of Noah that it, the, it was so evil that it was like beyond comprehension, right? So there was a lot of murders, right? Were they fornicating and doing all those things there in the days of Noah too? Yes or no? They were. But notice that Jesus does not mention these things. He does not say in the days of Noah they were fornicating and murdering and whatever, and adultery, which they were doing, but he doesn't mention that. Why? Because then you can say, well, I mean, Lord, this does not pertain to me, but he lists more dangerous things here. Not in regards to, there's nothing dangerous about eating or drinking soy milk. But let's keep reading. And as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be also the Son of Man. Verse 27, they ate, they drank, they married wives, they were giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Verse 28, likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, and they what? Built. Go to chapter 21. Look what Jesus says here. Chapter 21, verse 34 of Luke. Luke 21, verse 34, Jesus says, but take heed, be careful, take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with the carousing, drunkenness, and cares of this life, and that day come on you unexpectedly. And there's nothing wrong, per se, again, by eating. I ate th this morning, and I hope you did too, and nothing about drinking. We need water to live, and nothing about getting married. I I'm married, mercy, and there's not, nothing wrong with you uh, if you want to get married or if you want to be single. Amen. 
Nothing wrong with building and, and planting and all those things there. So what's the problem? What's the problem here? They were just so preoccupied and busy with everyday life that they didn't have enough room for Jesus. Jesus was in the back burner. Jesus was not what? Number one. Look at this quote here by the Spirit of Prophecy. This day with God, page 27, look what she says. Is our time spent in busy activity, but our souls are unblessed and our Heavenly Father not glorified? Eternal life is worth a lifelong, persevering, untiring effort, and we cannot afford to make haphazard work. Are we just so busy that God is not in the forefront? Can that happen, yes or no? Can that happen, yes or no? And we're so busy with work, and we're so busy with school and life and all that, that Jesus is in the back burner we just don't have enough room for him. She continues. When our soul's highest interest is concerned, we cannot afford to keep Jesus in the outer courts, away from our souls. Amen. I want to say, do not, don't you dare get too busy for God and be so preoccupied with daily life that you put God in the back burner, you will regret it. But let me tell you something very awesome. Go to Matthew chapter 7. Do you know that if you come to Jesus, though, and you knock on His door, it will always open? Matthew chapter 7, look at verses 7 and 8. I'm so thankful that God is not like us. Anybody in? Anybody else? Jesus says, there's more than enough room for you in my kingdom. It will never come a time where I will say, sorry, it's all full. You can't come in. There's always more than enough room for everybody there. But many times in our lives, either by words or actions, we tell Jesus, there's not enough room for you here. But guess what? But if you go to Jesus and knock on his door, he always opens it, and there's room for you in his life. Can you say amen? Look at Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. Jesus said, ask, and it will be given, uh, it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it may be opened. It will be open to you. Is that a promise? Yes or no? It's a promise. Verse 8, for everyone, for everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, here it is again, what does it say? It will be opened to you. Amen. If you come to Jesus, his door will always Prop, uh, he will always open the door if you knock on that door. He will never say, hey, sorry, I'm just too full. You can't, don't, I don't have time for you. 
I, it just says, my door will always come open if you come to me. It's a promise. I will always have time for you. And may God's people in the very last days of earth's history not make the mistake as it was in the days of Noah that they were so preoccupied with everyday life that God was in the back burner. God forbid. Let me remind God's people that salvation is the name of the game. Jesus said, what would it do you to gain the whole world but lose your eternity? You might get five diplomas and PhDs and all these, nothing wrong with that, but let me tell you, if that is in the expense of eternity, those degrees will mean nothing. And you work yourself to the bone to make sure that your bank account is nice and full. And there's nothing wrong with that either. But if that comes in the expense of eternity, what is that money going to do you? Go to Acts 19 quickly. What we need is to have Jesus first. Jesus needs to be number one. Jesus needs to be number one over school, over job. Yes, even over spouse. Did you know that my wife is number two and God is number one? And did you know that for my wife, God is number one and I'm number two? And I say hallelujah. In Acts 19, there's a story that would do us well to look at quickly. Acts 19, beginning in verse 11, say amen if you're there. The Bible says, now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Now, that's pretty interesting, is it not? I mean, whoa, that he was using Paul in such a great way that even the handkerchiefs that were on him were brought and Exorcism were having, the, the, the evil spirits were fleeing. And now look at verse 13. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, We exorcise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Also, verse 14, there were seven sons of Sepha, a Jewish chief priest who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who in the world are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. What a story. That God is using Paul, and there are people watching and they say, 
man, Charles, that looks pretty awesome. I want to do that too. And they come and they say, all right, here we go. It's my turn. And they say, okay, in the Jesus of whom Paul preaches, come out. And the Spirit says, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? And the spirits left them and came to them. What's the problem here by saying in the Jesus that Paul knows? What didn't they say? In the Jesus that I know. Come out. Because it didn't work that way. It can't be like, The Jesus in whom somebody else knows, it has to be the Jesus that I know. My personal Savior, my friend, in whom I put my trust and confidence. Amen. We have to know Jesus personally. It's not going to do you any good to say, in the Jesus that my wife knows. in the Jesus that my son or daughter knows. It needs to be in the Jesus that I know. So we have to invite him in. And it's not hard, we have to ask him. That's all it is, Jesus ask and it will be given to you. Can you say amen? Lord, I want you to be in my life. And maybe, maybe we have to unclutter some things in life to make sure there's enough room for Jesus in the life. Isn't that a a good idea? That maybe there needs to be some uncluttering, self-examination, maybe even writing things down and seeing where the list lies here. For Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else will be added unto you. Amen. He says, you know, when you put me first, then I will provide for everything else. I was giving a Bible study this week to my niece on Zoom. And it's a miracle in itself that she's wanting Bible studies. I said, Uncle, I want Bible studies. I said, Amen. If I had to drive six hours to give a Bible study, I would. But God bless technology. (laughs) And she says, I've tried everything else. But Jesus says, try me first, and everything else will be added. And I said, Alexa, her name is Alexa. What you're doing now is the right step to do first. Seek Jesus first. Make him your personal savior, and then everything else will fall into line. So we have to invite him in. We might have to empty or take some things out of our lives that is not allowing God in. Amen? Let's say that again. We might have to empty or take some things out of our lives that is not allowing God in, or maybe we have to be less busy, unclutter your life. Also, number three, put self aside and surrender to His will and word and let the Spirit do His work in our hearts.
I think Eldon brought up a good point this morning. It's not rocket science. And salvation is not rocket science. I want to say this. Somebody once said that baptism, which is a symbol of surrendering your life to Jesus and being dead to the old, baptism is not about knowing everything. It's about surrendering everything. I'm going to say it again. Because we're always learning, amen, and it's good to know. Trust me, I, I, I go through the baptismal vows, amen. But listen, if you surrender everything, then everything else will fall into place, right? Because as you surrender, you'll accept the teachings that God is giving. Are you with me? So again, baptism is not about knowing everything. It's about surrendering everything. So may God help us. I want to transition now to this as we begin to close. Jesus said that there is more than enough room for you and everybody in my kingdom. And did you know that what got Jesus through the most enduring time of his earthly ministry was the joy of seeing those who would accept his salvation in his kingdom. Look what the Hebrews says here in chapter 12, verse 2. It says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, what joy, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of who? Of God. I mean, what, what, what joy, Lord, what joy was before you, well, the enduring the cross and despising the shame? I mean, what kind of joy is this? On the screen I have, seeing those who would accept God's free gift of salvation is what got Jesus through his sufferings and death on the cross. In the book Acts of the Apostles, she says, what sustained the Son of God during his life of toil and sacrifice? He saw the results of the travail of his soul and was satisfied. Looking into where? Eternity. He beheld the happiness of those who through his humiliation had received pardon and everlasting life. Can you say amen? Woo! Beautiful! That happiness as he was there, look, Lord, and he, he used to be so, I, I have to go through it because he begins to see the joy and happiness of those who would accept his great gift of salvation in eternity. You want, you, his ear caught the shout of the redeemed. He heard the ransomed one singing the song of Moses. You see, you, you do know that one day God will do away with sin. Revelation 21, we're almost done. There is more than enough room in God's kingdom. But my question is, is there enough room for Jesus in your life, in my life? Revelation 21, say amen if you're there. Beginning in verse 1, very well-known verse, now I saw a new heavens and a new earth. 
For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea, no more separation. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, a tabernacle of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death. What brought death into the world? Sin. So if there is no more death, there's no more sin, and there's no more devil. That's the other study. Satan will be destroyed one day. Amen. God is not going to give the enemy eternal life in a place somewhere on earth that some believe. Sin will be eradicated. Death, suffering, and pain will be eradicated. And the author of sin will be eradicated. No more death, verse 4, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And he said on the throne, said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. I love verse 6 as well. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And I will give of the fountain of the water of life for a million dollars. Is that what the Bible says? What's the word there? It's free, hallelujah, because I don't have a million dollars. It's free, but for them who thirsts. I want to say something. Nahum prophesied in chapter 1, verse 9, affliction will not rise up a second time. Some people ask, oh, how do you know that sin will never rise again in eternity? I mean, how do you know it? It's because those who have gone through this mess, which is, of course, all humanity and not just them, the whole universe has seen what sin has brought. They will say, why in the world would we ever walk down that road again? And then, listen carefully, there will always be a constant reminder of the seriousness of sin. Do you know what it is? The scars on the hands of Jesus and on his side, because we're told in the Bible that after his resurrection, he still had them. You guys remember that story? Why he walked into the room? Oh, I don't believe that it was Jesus. And then he told Thomas, well, here, look at and touch my hands and look at my side here. In other words, the scars of Christ will never go away for all eternity. It will be a reminder. Now, listen carefully. Let me tell you how good God is. I told you, uh, maybe one day I'll give my, my testimony. Uh, I, sports were my life, and my dream was to make it to the NFL. Now, you're saying you're too small, but I was fast. And I said, well, if they, if they can't catch me, they can't tackle, <laughs> Anyway, things were going well for me in Tampa high, in high school. One game, now my usual route was a go route, right? Just, just go deep and he'll throw you the ball, just go deep. So, you know, boom, I gave the move and I'm going deep and 
the field was wet, so when it's a wet, soggy field, you can't run the fastest that you want. Are you with me? So what, I, what happened is I, I dove for the ball, and when I came down, my elbow went into my side, and the defensive back landed on top of me. And at that very instant, I felt the greatest, sharpest pain here on my side. You ever had a cramp before? Like you've run, you had a cramp before? But it was like times 10. After the game, long story short, I, had, I went to the hospital. Things were not getting better. They did a CAT scan. They said, Robert, you have a ruptured spleen. We're going to put you in ICU for a week to see if sort of things heal themselves. A week goes by, another CAT scan. The ruptured spleen hasn't gotten better. It's gotten worse. There's internal bleeding. There's issues there. We're going to have to open you up and take out that spleen. Now, here's my point. I'm not going to do it, but if I were to take off my shirt, you would see a scar from here, literally, from here all the way to here, okay? I have a scar literally this big right here, okay? Now, I have another one here where they put, like, some things during the surgery. But did you know that when Jesus returns in the clouds of heaven, that God's going to give me a new and improved glorified body without any scars? But my Savior, who deserves no scars, will have scars for eternity. And those who deserve the scars will not have them. Isn't that incredible? The ones who deserve the scars to remain will be gone. The one who does not deserve the scars to be there will have them forever. God is good. And sin will not rise a second time. There's more than enough room for you in his kingdom. I end with these quotes here and we'll be done. In the book, The Great Controversy, you need to read this book. If you haven't read this book, you need to read this book. Pastor, I've, read it, I've already read it. Read it again. Okay? Great Controversy. Our Redeemer will ever bear the marks of His crucifixion. Upon His wounded head, upon His side, His hands and feet are the only traces of the cruel work that sin has wrought. Isn't that incredible? And the tokens of his humiliation are his highest honor. Wow. Through the eternal ages, the wounds of Calvary will show forth his praise and declare his power. The cross of Christ will be the science and the song of the redeemed throughout all eternity. In Christ glorified, they will, be, they will behold Christ crucified. Never will it be forgotten that he whose power created and upheld the unnumbered worlds through the vast realms of space, the beloved of God, the majesty of heaven, 
He whom cherub and shining seraph delight, delighted to, um, to adore, humbled himself to uplift fallen man, that he bore the guilt and shame of sin and the hiding of his father's face till the woes of a lost world broke his heart and crushed out his life on Calvary's cross, that the maker of all worlds, the arbiter of all destinies, should lay aside his glory and humiliate himself from love to man will ever excite the wonder and adoration of the universe. Jesus said, there is more than enough room for you in my kingdom. It will never get to a place where he says, sorry, no room for you. There's room for you. And there's room for your neighbor, your friends, your family. But the danger is that we can come to a point where we tell God, there's no room for you here. And that will be the worst thing that can happen. So my appeal to us, did this message make sense today? My appeal to us today is to make sure that we have enough room for Jesus. And only you know, by being honest with yourself and asking God to him, for him to convict you, only you know if that's the case in your life. Only you know to say honestly, you know what, that's true, I haven't had enough room for Jesus. Only you know. But you can change that. People at home, you can change that. It might not be easy because letting things go and uncluttering the life is not always easy. Can you say amen? But sometimes those uneasy things need to happen. Because Jesus needs to not be on the outer courts. He needs to be in the inner courts. Numero uno in Spanish, right? Numero uno in the heavenly language Portuguese. Say amen. It's too late in the game to not have enough room for Jesus. It's too late in the game. Things are happening very rapidly. This world is a mess. Christ is soon to come. If Jesus is not number one now, what are you going to do in the time of trouble? Oh, now I'll put him number one. That's called self-deception. Who here today and at home or home 
Let's say, Lord, whatever I need to do, whatever uncluttering I have to do, whatever things I need to do to make sure that you, I have room for you and not just room to put you number one, I want to help. I want you to help me do. Anybody here? Anybody here? Amen. 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 You won't regret it. Satan says, do everything else. God says, no, no, no. The best thing to do is have me first and everything else will fall into line. This podcast is a service of the University Parkway Seventh-day Adventist Church in Pensacola, Florida. Our weekly podcasts are recorded every Saturday morning. Bible study begins at 9.30. The sermon begins at 11. You are invited to join us. We live stream the 11 o'clock service. You can catch that broadcast at our website, universitypkwy.org, or at Livestream. A library of previous messages is available on our YouTube channel and on our website. Thank you for listening.